Poem. I'm Russ. And I'm Lauren. And this is it. This is the end of the sidewalk. It's where the sidewalk ends. Ends. Our season one comes to a close, such as it is, and fortunately there's more shell books out there. Yeah, plenty. We have two last poems to read to you all for season one. And then after this, next week you will get the final outtakes episode from season one. And we can take a moment to regroup and uh, get ready for season two. We have to send a shout out to our voiceover artist who does not wish to be named, uh, doing her best Queen Elizabeth for our entire first season. That is my prettier half. I cannot believe it. I really can't. I had no idea until you just told me a moment ago. Lauren did not know that for the entire first season. The entire time. I thought he had just paid an old stuffy British lady who does voiceovers on Fiverr or something. So look forward to different music and different voiceover. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Well, well, what are we talking about? Why don't you go first today? All right. Then I am doing Just Me, Just Me. Sweet Marie, she loves just me. She also loves Maurice McGee. No, she don't. She loves just me. She also loves Louise Dupree. No, she don't. She loves just me. She also loves the willow tree. No, she don't. She loves just me. Poor, poor fool, why can't you see? She can love others and still love thee. No illustration. When I was young, I I may have thought this was a poem to help people understand that their mother could love their siblings in addition to the reader. And that's so funny. I thought it was about your friends, like how your friends would say, like, you're not my best friend anymore. And, you know, that was like the worst childhood insult. Right. I had three really close friends and would always declare one of them my best friend. And then the other two would be really pissed about it. And good news, that trend continues to this day. Well, none of my really close friends tend to hang out with each other that much. Well, that's not true. I meant with little children, oh, like little elementary children. schoolers. Yes. <laughs> the best way to incite a second grade drama, you're not my best friend anymore. Ah, uh, yes, I remember that. I, I don't think I ever really said that, though. I think, for me, it was a commitment that I stuck to. <laughs> <laughs> now, what privileges came with being the best friend? I don't think there were privileges. I mean, sitting next to me was probably the most. <laughs> but also, like, my best friend didn't go to the same school as me. It was someone I had grown up with knowing for all of my childhood and so there wasn't daily drama about this it was only on my birthdays for my birthday party you sit at the right hand of the king yeah well we couldn't do right and left because there were three of them and so how do you do that number one is on the right number two is on the left number three follows behind i don't know that i wanted to rank them like that (laughs) the only time you really rank your best friends is when you have a, a bridal party and it goes by the order you send them down the aisle. That's when you're ranking your best friends. <laughs> have you ever seen drama caused because of that? 
Uh, I mean, I've heard of drama caused because of that. Mm. I think I saw a maid of honor and a sister get grumpy once. I remember a friend of mine said I wasn't going to be best man in his wedding, and I thanked him. (laughs) Yeah, that's responsibility (laughs) you don't need. You're truly my best friend. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You never had a best man at any of your weddings, right? I guess I was the closest to it at your last one. Yeah, (laughs) I was the closest to a best man at your wedding. (laughs) Yeah, no. My friend James, like, was my officiant, but... Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, I've I've never had a a proper best man such as it is. Well, despite how it was communicated to children, it's pleasing to see that uh, this poem is gaining a little bit of traction as a poly anthem. I can certainly see that. As posted on the subreddit r slash polyamory, Shell Silverstein knows what's up, and it's got 984 upvotes. Oof. Oof. What are they saying about it? If only I could share that with my husband. That's his hardest hurdle. Hmm, it sounds like polyamory may not be the right choice for your husband. <laughs> it sounds like. <laughs> sounds like your marriage may have an issue. I understand completely. I came here to explore because of the way I feel about love. I have no experience as a poly. There are many obstacles to this, but I'm determined to keep trying until I succeed. Okay. That doesn't surprise me to hear that. Playboy's had some really great writers working for him over the years. Yep, Shell himself I wouldn't call polyamorous, not even that they weren't really using that term at the time, I don't think, but he didn't really do relationships that much. He he did like to shag, it looks like. Yeah, he liked to fuck a lot, and he did have crushes on people and would get mopey when they were fucking someone who wasn't him, mm. but he never tried to have long-term relationships with women. Shell had a daughter with a woman named Susan Taylor Hastings that he met at the Playboy Mansion. Uh, They had a daughter named Shoshana, and Susan, uh, his partner, died one day before Shoshana's fifth birthday. Shoshana then went to live with her uncle and aunt in Maryland, and she did not live past the age of 11, dying of a cerebral aneurysm. Yeah. He would later go on to have a son with Key West native Sarah Spencer, who drove a tourist train. He still lives and seems to be a New York-based songwriter. Man, when you hear someone living on a houseboat in Sausalito, that definitely generates some kind of image. Yeah, he apparently it started out not that great of a houseboat, and then he invited someone who was good at it at a carpentry to stay in the houseboat while he cavorted about. And the person who was good at carpentry was so, like, freaked out about the state of disrepair that he fixed up the houseboat for him. That's, uh, uh, Shell, wise before your time. Shell didn't really have relationships with the women he had children with, although he maintained somewhat of a relationship with his children, but he did make sure they were taken care of. Like he was generous in terms of finances with them. He bought them houses and sent them money and things. There is one more aspect to where the sidewalk ends that I had never known for myself, even as a kid. And when you open it up, 
the very first page in the book says for Ursula on it. Yeah, that's his editor. I know. Uh, for ages and ages, I never looked it up. I thought it was his daughter. And oh. do you know about Ursula Nordstrom? A little bit. I had to find this out. Uh, you are correct. She was Shell's editor when he published Where the Sidewalk Ends. And that was the last book she would publish over a long and storied career at Harper and Row. And not only was she editor, she was editor-in-chief and publisher from 1940 to 1973. And she edited the It's a Who's Who of Your Favorite Books, Stuart Little, Charlotte's Web, Goodnight Moon, Harold and the Purple Crayon, Danny and the Dinosaur, and was the first woman and child's publisher to receive the Association of American Publishers Curtis Benjamin Award, and died in 1988 with her longtime companion, Mary. Mary Griffith. Aww. So now Ursula has taken on a much more poignant meaning for me because this was the jewel in the crown of a very storied individual. Her swan song before retirement. He did dedicate a book to Shoshana, but it was the next one we're going to be reading, A Light in the Attic. So, what else are we talking about today? Well, this is it. This is the very last poem. The very last one. where the sidewalk ends. This is... Dancing Pants. And now for the Dancing Pants doing their fabulous dance. From the seat to the pleat, they will bounce to the beat with no legs inside them and no feet beneath. They'll whirl and twirl and jiggle and prance. So just start the music and let's give them a chance. Let's have a big hand for the wonderful, marvelous, Super sensational, utterly fabulous, talented dancing pants! Yay! Yay! <laughs> strange that our last poem is an announcement for something to come. No, that's not like strange it. at all. That's It's appropriate. Mm. And the image is a pair of pants that look like they're probably khaki trousers and they have a belt. And one leg is super high up in the air with the knee bent like it's kicking up. And the other one is bent backwards behind it like it's about to run up a wall or something like that. Matrix style. Well, I am not good at dancing. (laughs) (laughs) Who's good at dancing? Only dancers are good at dancing. I was looking up this poem and one thing that kept appearing was like these spammy education sites. That are like, here's some education content. And they're all like, examples of personification. Dancing Pants by Shel Silverstein. You can almost hear your fourth grade teacher saying it. Now, are the pants real people? No, they're not. Are they described like people? Pants don't dance, but people do. On tvtropes.org, there is a trope that's called Dancing Pants. And it's named after... Shel Silverstein's dancing pants. And it's all about the phenomenon of animated clothing. And appropriately, it the top example is a Dr. Seuss poem, an image. Then I was deep within the woods when suddenly I spied them. I saw a pair of pale green pants with nobody inside them. 
Didn't Dr. Seuss write before Shell did by a lot? Okay, but this is just tvtropes.org. This is <laughs> like the this TV trope is named after the Shell Silverstein poem and includes stuff with Dr. Seuss. I was gonna say. Says clothes can do a lot of things when worn by people. It can keep them warm, it can make them look cool, it can give them superpowers or turn them violently evil. There are some weird articles of clothing <laughs> that don't have to be worn by anyone to do things. Somehow they can move around with nobody inside them. For some reason, the disembodied clothing is usually a pair of pants. There was this comic I really enjoyed when I was a teenager called Egg Pants. <laughs> okay. What and it did, was an egg. egg. It was an egg. And the egg found this pair of pants that it was really, really, really in love with. And then one day the pants disappeared. And Egg Pants discovered that they were stolen, but also were kind of off having adventures without it. He was very jealous. Now, when you said comic, I thought stand-up comedian. No, 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 webcomic. And so you're describing egg pants, and I'm like, man, this is way before tape face. I'm digging this. And now come to find out that his act doesn't revolve around him and the eggs that are in his pants getting into hilarious hijinks. I am so much less invested in in the tale of this egg with pants. I don't see it anymore. It doesn't seem to exist online anymore, but it was fun. And I was sad when the author stopped making it. Mandela effect. What, you mean you think it never existed? Oh, no, I would never say such a thing. We're already on the wrong timeline. What timeline? <laughs> I was joking the other day that, thank God, they're ter- the Large Hadron Collider, I will remind everyone, has been turned off for the last three years. So I'm hoping that when they flip it back on, we'll jump back to the normal reality. That's so grim. <laughs> I, I find it's the last hope I'm clinging to. Well, I mean, that kind of suggests that we are the people of that reality. And so when they flip it back on, we will cease to exist. And the, the versions of us that are living the better timeline will pop back in. Well, the good news is that we would never know. That's true. If this universe is a false vacuum, when it collapses, it's instant. It, it consciousness winks out in an instant. Yeah, I mean, it may maybe it already has. Also, Dark Matter by Blake Crouch is a good book. It's another one of those multiverse ones where you know never meet yourself from another timeline. Sometimes I see people who remind me of myself, and it just makes me feel a lot of horror. I have Mainly seen because... a couple of of Lauren doppelgangers here in Vancouver. <laughs> It's never the appearance of someone that I think looks like me so much as it's the uh, personality. When I meet someone that has my personality and are much younger, I'm just like, ah, it's like looking at me in the past. And <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I feel nice to them, but also jealous. Like, man, you have so much time to do things better than I did. Boy, oof. I don't. Th- that's a very I, interesting sensation, and one that I can't relate to. I don't think I've ever met anyone that reminds me of me personality-wise. That's a fun thought. I wonder if it's mostly women that have this feeling, because I was on Twitter the other day, and one of my friends was expressing that sort of horror when you see somebody who reminds you of yourself when you were young, and your sense of mortality is just glaring back at you. Wow, I would love to feel that. That sounds monstrous. It's a horrible feeling. Well, but it's one I've never experienced before. Life is about having new feelings. This is not new. This happens somewhat often. I mean, not super often because I don't see a ton of young women that remind me of myself. But once in a while I do. And I'm just like, wow, 
But I've had zero of them. I want one. I just need one of those experiences. Then I can say, yes, that was horrible. Lauren was right and move on with my life. (laughs) Huh. I, I think it's that for men, like aging isn't supposed to look as bad on men than it is on women so (laughs) when a woman looks at a younger woman that's young and has all this vitality and energy they're like oh here was when i was a better version of myself even if that version was actually very unhappy Uh, yeah i don't know wow i love what you're describing i it, it makes perfect sense i just wish i could empathize hmm Maybe it's because all the all the, like the young men I see these days are just I don't know so much better looking than I ever was and like I can't put I can't possibly put myself in their shoes because it's like wow look at that gorgeous fellow walking by ah never be hot. there you know like I was gorgeous <laughs> I was I was I was gorgeous if I do say so myself I was not I was never uh, oh god I had some people telling me I was the prettiest person they had ever seen oh I've never heard that. Yeah, it was something I heard occasionally in my teenage years. Oh, the dying of nobody the says that to me now for sure. <laughs> for sure, nobody says that now. <laughs> I rarely get told I'm pretty at all, much much less the prettiest person ever. Do you suppose it's cyclical? Do you think it'll come back around at some point? Like, if we live to be eighty, will we become the prettiest people again? No, not for women. Not for women. Hmm. This, this poem reminds me of this one time I went to a show back when I was very young and gorgeous and had a lot of energy. I went to see a band. I think the band was called Sexy Pants, simply because the name of the band was called Sexy Pants. Good name. Yeah. And so they were going to do a Sexy Pants contest and whoever had the sexiest pants would win. And so I wore my pleather pants and I was like, no, no, they weren't pleather. They were they were like vinyl or whatever they were definitely from hot topic and squeaked when i walked yeah <laughs> and i went in these pants and i was like i'm super gonna win this contest well maybe somebody else has better pants than i do but these are pretty great pants and i went and there was nobody almost nobody there who also came to see the show so you would think i had a great chance of winning this but then the the venue had decided since there was nobody there they were just going to give the prize to the band who was not wearing pants were that were all that exciting to do with it i don't know they did something with it and i didn't get it and i was wearing much better pants than any of them bullshit it was bullshit (laughs) what is it 20 years later and still vengeful yeah i think i was about 19 (laughs) well lauren do you have any uplifting thoughts to leave the listeners with on our last episode of season one Things are fine. Things are good. Why can I never think of something? My mind just goes completely blank. Oh, this weekend? This is hilarious. I'm going with my friend. So my friend is sad that we haven't been going to as many costumed shenanigans as we did when we were younger. So in order to not feel so old, we're going to a costume shenanigan thing. And it's a Beltane celebration where everybody has to dress up like they're a fake creature. Oh my god, that sounds so much. Oh, that sounds like so much fun. Yeah, we'll see. It's going to be raining. But I, and my costume is unfortunately going to be kind of lackluster because I, I didn't plan ahead. But I've got a dress that will work. And uh, I think I'm going to do my hair in pigtails with little fake artichokes on either side that will look kind of like a Sailor Moon hairdo. So is this a, a, a creature in particular or is it just a fey folk? 
No, I'm just trying to look fae, and I'm going to do, okay. like, very earth tones, but bright makeup that isn't exactly appropriate colors for a human. Gotcha. I love it. Do not close this book on me.